Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, is Legends Tour player and LPGA professional Cindy Miller. And we are the hosts of the Women of Golf Show, uh, and we welcome you here this morning. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. What's up? Uh, well, it's. Uh, I would love to say it's a bright and sunny morning here in, in uh, the northwest part of Florida, but it's not. It's overcast. No rain as of yet. But uh, as I was mentioning to you off air, there. Uh, calling for chances of rain every day this week, so I'm not too happy about that. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll keep our thoughts and good prayers and well wishes, and hopefully uh, it'll it'll blow into another direction. But uh, anyways, we're glad to be here this morning. Cindy and I are looking forward to the show this week, as as we always do. Um, but let me just remind everybody: of course, we are live every Tuesday mornings uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time on uh, BlogTalkRadio.com network. Go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or just type women of golf uh, up in the search key. And for those of you that like to uh, maybe listen through iTunes or, or stitcher.com or two other uh, areas that you can go to, go to uh, itunes.com or stitcher.com and in the podcast section type women of golf and that will take you there as well. And for some reason, if you can't join us during the live uh, broadcast, not to worry, just scroll down uh, on uh, the uh, main page there at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf and uh, you'll see the on demand section and you'll be able to listen to all of the previously aired shows uh, over the last several years that we've been doing this broadcast so they're all there in their entirety uh, on a recorded version so you can listen to them there when it's convenient for you i always love to hear from you uh, we would love for you to call into the show anytime during the live broadcast on Tuesdays uh, the number is area code 347-945-5855 uh, and if you can't do that, uh, not a problem, but maybe you can email us uh, any questions or comments or concerns about the show. Uh, maybe you'd like to hear uh, a guest on here, or maybe you'd like a topic that we haven't covered of yet, uh, and you can reach out to either Cindy or I, and Cindy's email is cindy at cindymillergolf.com, and mine, of course, is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. We've got a great show for you this morning. We're going to start off uh, and uh, of course, with a discussion for the first uh, bit of the show, and it's on some top questions that students might ask their pro. And then a little bit later in the broadcast, Cindy and I are going to be joined by uh, our very special guest, uh, Patty Butcher, uh, who is a PJ LPJ Class A professional and uh, has quite some uh, lofty accolades uh, under her belt. So we're going to bring her on for a little discussion on the second half of the show. But um, Cindy, let's start off um, with, with some questions, as I mentioned. These are questions that uh, certainly, when I say the top questions, they're not necessarily ranked in any, any specific order, but these are some pretty common questions that uh, some of the students that might have asked us over the years of our careers uh, or some other pros that might be listening to the show, I'm sure you've been asked these questions as well. Um, so let's start off with this first one here, Cindy, and, 
And, and this is a, a really a kind of a common question, but uh, about tempo, and that is how does one find their tempo? And is everybody's generally the same? Um, Sydney, I'm going to let you start it off, and then I'm going to chime in a little bit. But uh, how does one, uh, first off, is everybody's tempo the same? Uh, and if not, how do you find your tempo? Well, to answer the first question, no, everyone's tempo is not the same. And again, as we've mentioned numerous times on the show, people are all different. And typically, depending on your behavior style, might and if you remember when we did the Own Your Game series, there are four distinctive behavior styles. There's a D, I, S, and C. And right. typically, the D, who is driven, and the I, influencing, are more extroverted and would tend to have a, be- a faster swing tempo than an S, which is a steady, or a C, which is conscientious behavior style. So I am a high D. I swing fast. I walk fast. I do everything I do is fast paced. And I married a high S in Allen who swings syrupy smooth like Ernie Els or Freddie Couples. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, definitely your personal tempo is there's not one personal tempo. There's many. Yeah. Is it possible, do you think, to sort of be uh, somewhere in between as well? I mean, obviously, as you just mentioned, Alan's a, a little more uh, slow and smooth uh, swing tempo, like, like you mentioned Ernie Els and some of the others, uh, Freddie Couples. Um, and then you're a, a little quicker uh, in your pace. Is there possible to sort of be somewhere in between as well? Well, there's lots of different te- tempos. Um, the, the catch is, what's your rhythm? So mm-hmm. you can be fast-paced or faster-paced. You don't want to swing any faster than the club head can swing. So the pace of your arms needs to be pretty slow. Some are slower than others. If you watch Ai Miyazato, I mean, her, the swing pace of her arms, I could basically have dinner while she's swinging because it's so slow. <laughs> but Right. But you need the timing of the pieces of the part to be in sync with the rhythm of the tempo, if that makes sense. So you might be one and two and, or you could be one and two and, but you can't be one, two. So finding your tempo is, is like a fingerprint almost, you know, you need to find Mm -hmm. what's the best pace for you to swing at. And that could be different for all kinds of people. Right. And I think one of the dangers, too, that a lot of people or one of the traps that a lot of people fall into, and, and I'm sure you've probably seen this along your journey as well. Um, you, you know, as, as an amateur, you know, you see um, somebody on television like like, again, we'll just use some of these examples and early Ernie L's as more of a slow and smooth tempo. And then a Nick Price, who's a little quicker pace. And you might think, well, that, that player, I like that player there. So I'm going to try and emulate them. But you might be somebody um, like an Alan Miller trying to emulate a Nick Price, which just is not going to work because that's going to throw you out of sync uh, or vice versa. You might be somebody like a Cindy Miller uh, and trying to swing like an Ernie Els, which is just not going to fall within your wheelhouse. So there's a danger there to be careful of. You know, it, it's certainly um, you know, okay to follow uh, a favorite player and, and maybe emulate certain things, that, that, uh, whether it be a grip or something like that, you might want to try. 
um, but it's not very conducive to to adopt their entire swing if it's not uh, in your in your um, uh, pattern, if you will. Would that be a, a pretty accurate statement? You think? Totally accurate. Yes. Yes, for sure. Because you know, I. I, I and, and I think as instructors, Cindy, I think we have to be cognizant of that as well. Because if we get a player that, that uh, you know, as you said, it's maybe has more of a personality like yourself, uh, and we're trying to slow them down, that's taking them out of their comfort zone, number one. Um, and, and more often than not, even though the intention might be good, it may not be the best for that person. So you have to kind of, and that's something else too. I mean, as you mentioned in the very beginning, you know, we have to uh, get an understanding of the people that we're dealing with because everybody is different. So, you know, what might work for one student isn't necessarily going to work for another student. So we have to be very uh, cognizant of that. And, and I'm kind of the, the reason why I asked you the question earlier about, can we sort of be in between is I'm kind of in between my, my, my tempo is fairly quick. Um, but it's not like, like a Nick price and it's certainly not slow and, and smooth and silky like an Ernie L. So I'm kind of somewhere in between um, and I can't think of a player off the top of my head who that might be more uh, emulated like, but I'm sort of in between. It's fairly quick, but it's not super quick, um, but it's not super slow either. So I guess it's just sort of an, an even uh, run of the middle, maybe a kind of a boring tempo. I don't know, uh, however you want to put it. But uh, anyways, um, tempo is something that you need to, to work on yourself. And is there anything that you can think of, Cindy, that you try to encourage your students um, to try and find their tempo? Any drills or anything? Well, I ask them to swing their arms and count and, and almost have a mantra while they're swinging, like one and two and three, you know, whatever. Swing, hinge, get through, whatever it might be. Mantras are good. Sometimes there's a metronome app that you can get for your phone that you could swing mm -hmm. to that. Again, it would depend on whether or not you're an auditory learner. If you're an auditory learner, it's easy, you know, having a, a metronome would be like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I love this. If you're not auditory, you're going to say, turn that thing off before I break it. So it depends on the person. Yeah, and you're right. And there's some out there that are uh, get their cues visually and, and, uh, and others that um, – uh, as you said, there's different learning styles. So you have to, again, sort of match that up as well with the individual player. And, and I'm much like you. I, I think that the, you have to, um, you know, I like to do that sort of count in my head when I'm uh, working on my swing just to make Because, you know, it, it's, it certainly is possible to get out of your tempo uh, if, if you're under a lot of anxiety um, or stress. Sometimes that will throw in. And, that, and that's something that you'll see um, more often than not, believe it or not, in a stressful situation when you see players, even at the highest level out on tour, when you see them um, not swinging within themselves. In other words, they're not swinging within their tempo. Uh, they've either speeded up or uh, maybe slowed it down uh, because they're under stress or something out in the golf course, and they'll get out of sync. The, things just won't uh, gel. And uh, I'm sure we, we can name several examples over the years that we've seen of, of players that do that, that sort of fall and everybody says, well, he's just having a bad day. No, it's not necessarily a bad day. It's just that um, maybe they've fallen out of sync and their timing and tempo is off. And, uh, you know, it's something that they don't like to fool with when they're out on the golf course, but uh, it, it's something that happens to even the best players. So um, you're, you're in good company, folks, that, that are listening to the show this morning. But um, 
go out and find what your tempo is and don't try to emulate another player or person that you see just because you think it looks good. It may not be best suited for your game. Um, so that's what I would like to say uh, with respect to tempo. Um, now, Cindy, we all, you know, in, in this day and age, you know, we want to be able to um, pick a spot, if you will, when we're on the tee box. Um, how do you know where you want to land your tee shots? How do you decide um, when you were playing, uh, you know, out in, in competitive golf, Cindy, was there something that went through your, was a checklist that went through your head when you decided, okay, I'm on the first tee, where do I want to land this tee shot to give myself the best uh, chance possible um, for my next shot? How did you decide that? What went through your head? Well, what you do is you walk on the, on the tee box and you look at the whole shape of the hole. So mm-hmm. depending on, you know, whether it's a par four or par five, if it's a dog leg left, dog leg right, if there's a bunker out there, if there's water. So all those things need to be taken into consideration when you're planning where you, how you want to play the hole. So that is number one. And then once you decide, let's say it's a dog leg right and there's a bunker on the right to try to deter you from cutting the corner, if you can carry the bunker, you know, that's one decision. If you can't carry the bunker, then you're going to aim to the left of the bunker. So I typically put the tee in the ground on the tee box on the side of the trouble so that I can hit away from the trouble so if right. I put, let's say it's a dog leg right, there's a bunker on the right, and I can't carry the bunker, I'm going to go to the right side of the tee box, put the tee in the ground, and then step behind the ball looking directly at the wide open space. Right. So it, it makes right. my subconscious mind see, like, wow, there is so much room over on the left to hit this ball. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that, yeah, and that's great for your confidence. Now, a lot of players, and I'm, and I'm sure this is kind of what you're getting to here, a lot of players, uh, especially better players, will talk about how they play from the green back to the tee. In other words, they're already looking ahead and thinking, okay, how do I want to approach the green? And that also falls into their decision-making process. It's not just the trouble that they may be faced with off the tee box, but it's, it's positioning themselves, for instance, um, they're looking, if it's a, a par four that they know they're going to, um, with a well-struck tee shot, they're going to be able to get into in two. They're looking at how do I want to approach the green? If there's trouble surrounding the right side of the green, maybe there's bunkers uh, you know, surrounding the, the front of the green and maybe even in behind, uh, or maybe there's an opening uh, on the left side uh, of the front of the green that they can, if they need to, uh, if they don't hit it well, they can run it up, uh, whatever the case may be, even on a par five. So do you factor that in as well is um, I'm playing sort of from the green back to the tee. In other words, I'm looking at what my next shot or shots might be, um, and that's going to also dictate how you play your tee shot? Absolutely. Well, you determine how you want to play the hole, and then you go from there. Right. So, yes, definitely. Right. And, and I, yeah, and, and a lot of uh, – I think your better players look at that. They look at the whole hole and they look at what are their options overall. Um, if it's something like, for instance, if it's a par five, 
and they know that they're not going to get there in two. If it's a hole that's extremely long or maybe there's challenges that they're going to be faced with that they are pretty certain they're not going to get there in two, um, then that's going to dictate as well how far and where they hit their first shot. They're not going to be as concerned with distance as maybe the accuracy because they know they're going to hit a second shot that's going to put them in that perfect position that's going to allow them to hit their third shot. Now, obviously, most of the pros are, are pretty good and, and uh, in most cases are going to be able to get in two. Um, but for you amateurs out there that maybe don't hit as far, uh, if you know you're not going to get there on a par five and two shots, don't try and bomb it off the tee. Um, because then you're going to run into all kinds of problems. You're going to be all over the fairway, or you may be uh, in the rough or, in, or worse in the woods or something. So uh, you need to really look at the whole hole and decide how you want to play that hole. Do you want to play it in three shots? Are you able to play it in two shots? Uh, and then sort of that helps dictate as well where you want to position your first uh, tee shot. What about windy days, Cindy? We all get faced with them. There, no day is perfect. Uh, sometimes the wind can come up it can be gusty sometimes it be uh, constant and steady uh, any any tricks to help prepare for that um heading out on a windy day well just realize that the scores are going to go up again whenever the weather is a factor um some people try harder find it out and and when you try harder and you try to defeat the forces of the wind or the rain or the heat you're not going to win. So you need to be very aware right. that the scores are going to go up <clears throat> and almost try less, if you will, and and just play smarter golf because you, the wind's going to get you, and you need yeah. to allow it to win. Otherwise, you're not going to. And you have to play smarter. You have to take extra clubs, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. So... That's what I would say. What yeah, do you say? And, um, yeah, last night it was kind of interesting, and one of the reasons I'm glad this question was in here is Michael Breed, of course, uh, PJ professional, uh, who uh, is on, of course, the Golf Fix on the Golf Channel, talked a little bit about that on the driving range last night uh, in, in the segment. I think it was actually a repeat because I believe I've seen it before. But, you know, he talked about how to play the wind. And, uh, you know, for a, a draw wind or a right-to-left wind, of course, um, he talked about playing a cut shot into that wind um, to help keep the ball straight. And um, so when, you, when you're faced with a situation like that, and obviously this is geared for some of the better players out there that are, are confident in their ball striking ability, they are confident they can hit a cut shot, there's a lot of tricks. Um, and conversely, there are options where you might want to let the ball ride the wind and take advantage, maybe in a longer uh, par five. Uh, where there isn't a lot of trouble out in the fairway, um, you can hit it and let that right-to-left wind uh, carry the ball a little bit further because it's going to obviously per, uh, curve the ball in that direction anyway. So sometimes you can get a little bit of a, a draw without actually hitting a draw, uh, hitting into that right-to-left wind if you're careful. So uh, sometimes the wind can be your friend, Cindy, and sometimes it can work against you. But I think uh, what you said is is pertinent i think you need to plan uh if you know ahead of time it's going to be a windy day uh maybe you might want to change some different clubs instead of maybe using your driver you might want to have uh maybe a, a hybrid or two in your bag if you've got one uh that will maybe help you a little bit better off the tee the other thing that i would say in windy conditions 
is, and this works both uh, hitting full shots and even on the putting surface as well, is you might want to adjust your stance a little bit, widen it a little bit to make, especially if it's really windy, to make sure you have a solid base to work from. Because if you're somebody, especially if you have a narrow stance to begin with, and you're out there in a windy day, uh, and you're tall like me, I'm six foot four, so if I have too narrow of a stance, and it's a pretty gusty day out there, Cindy, uh, you know, it's going to blow me all over the place uh, like a wet paper bag. So, uh, you know, I want to widen my stance a little bit, and then I want to particularly pay attention and swing within myself, not to get too uh, aggressive with the swing and just swing a nice, easy uh, swing as possible so that I make sure I make good contact and I'm not trying to rush the process. And that's some of the things that I try to do uh, in windy days. But I like the, the tips that Michael gave last night on the Golf Channel uh, for those that can take advantage of, of some of those uh, wins um, by hitting specific shots to help take advantage of the situation you're faced with. So those are some things, some good tips, Cindy, I think, uh, that we can all uh, – adhere to anything else that you want to add yeah one other thing what i would suggest you do is you throw up grass like you see them do on tv to see which way the wind is blowing Mm -hmm. and when you when you throw the grass up watch to see if the grass soars or if the grass gets knocked right down because sometimes if you you can feel as though the wind's coming from behind you from right to left and that it's going to help the ball go farther Throw that grass up, and if the grass mm-hmm. falls down, it means the ball is going to get knocked out of the sky. And if the grass soars, yep. the ball is going to ride the wind. So that's really important because a lot of times students, when we're doing playing lessons, will think, oh, well, I'm with the wind. It's going to go further. When in truth, it's going to go shorter because it's going to get knocked out. Yeah, that's, that's a great tip. Uh, and and I, I, you know, I try to do that as well. Sometimes I forget, but uh, I try to do that when I play as well as to, to just take a few, uh, you know, a little a few blades of grass, pick that up and, and sort of toss it in the air and, and let it, uh, you know, if, if the rise with the wind or if it gets knocked right down, then that kind of tells me uh, what I might be faced with. Um, I think also too, Cindy, and I don't know if you have a favorite wind or not, but some people, I'm one for instance, uh, I, I certainly like when the wind is behind me because it's going to give me a little extra carry. Um, but I'm a right-handed player, so for me, when I'm set up, if the wind is directly uh, not in my face but coming from the right, that for me always kind of throws me off. Is there a particular direction or, or wind that, that gets to you that maybe doesn't work well with your game? I agree with you. I'd rather have the wind coming if I had a choice, if it's a right-to-left win or a left-to-right, I want the left-to-right win. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's just something about that wind that just does not work well with my game and always manage to find myself in trouble. But, uh, but anyways, if you follow, uh, folks, if you follow some of the tips that Sydney I just mentioned, that's certainly going to help you. And I, and I know there's a, uh, a scat of other tips out there, I'm sure, uh, and, and Patty may even have a few uh, when we bring her on here in just a moment. I see she's ready, but we'll bring her out in just a second. Uh, the last one I'm going to ask, um, Cindy, before we bring uh, our very special guest this morning, is how important is it to have a, a plan and a target for every shot, or is it? It is important. Otherwise, you're not going to get where you're going or where you think you're going. Um, and so many people have issues aligning themselves, which I happen to fall into that category. And there's two ways to look at this. You can try to pinpoint, which I'm no good at, 
if I try to pinpoint too much and think about the target, I get too locked up and can't swing the club, but I need an area of where I would like the ball to start, which frees me up to swing better. So um, Alan, my husband, will tease me and say, you're trying to hit the nose of a whale in the ocean. Why don't you just try to hit it in the ocean? And so right. there's two, two thoughts here. And, uh, yes, you need to have a target, but don't get so analytical for you high – who are very conscientious and detail-oriented because it will make you crazy and you can never hit it perfect. So, you know, again, they might, someone who's a high C who tries to pick a specific target might get a little ticked off that it's not going where you want it to go when, in essence, you're trying to be too detail-oriented. So I guess, yes, you need a target, but not so crazy that it makes you, you know, nuts. Yeah, and, and I'm much like you. Uh, you know, one of the, the issues that I used to have, um, and, and I guess maybe it's it's a little bit of an age thing as well, but one of the things that I used to have is I would have too defined a target. You know, I would get very, very, um, if you will, zeroed in on a specific target. And one of the problems I had is if it didn't hit right on that target, of course, it would – uh, bother me to no end. So what I tried to do is I had a range of targets. So if, for instance, if I had uh, a, a, a tree or something in the background, especially if I was on, the, and I'm t- talking about on the tee box here, um, I wouldn't necessarily aim at that tree, but there might be, uh, I would imagine a circle around that tree of, you know, again, depending on how wide the fairway was, of a few yards. So that sort of broadened that specific target. So I wasn't just focusing on the tree. That was my general direction, but it was okay if it went you know, maybe five or so yards uh, left or right of that tree, I was still pretty happy that I'd reached my target. And so it, I, I opened the door a little bit by not getting too narrowly focused um, because if I didn't hit the target right on, then I was disappointed and I, I didn't feel like I had accomplished the goal that I had set myself uh, for that particular shot. So uh, you're right. You have to be uh, certainly target-oriented, uh, but not so uh, analytical as you put it. Um, that you're you're going to get yourself into a situation where you're you're not going to feel confident that you've you've succeeded uh, in in whatever shot you may be faced with. Um, well, some interesting questions. I mean, it, Sorry, go ahead. You're, if you if you widen the area of the target, it gives you room not to be perfect, and right. It's really hard to play real bad if you hit all the fairways and all the greens, even if you're 25, 30 feet from the hole. So mm-hmm. lower your expectations and hit more greens. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people um, would put a lot less pressure on themselves. You know, I think one of the, I think one of the problems with a lot of our, our amateur golfers is sometimes they take the information too literal. You know, we say pick a target, um, they're not understanding specifically what we mean when we say that. And so they're, they're, you know, doing like we just talked about, they're, they're so narrowly focused. Uh, and then when they don't achieve that, they're disappointed. Uh, and then, you know, there's an anxiety that builds up. Well, you know, geez, I didn't hit that target. Um, but actually maybe they're still in good shape. Um, so they need to be happy with that. So, you know, I, I think that you have to be realistic, lower, as you said, lower your expectations. Don't be so uh, critical of yourself. 
you know, pick a target, pick a general area that you want the ball to land. So if it lands somewhere within that general area, then, hey, you're looking great. Uh, if it goes a little bit outside, that's okay, too, as long as you're not, you know, in trouble. Um, but if it goes a little bit outside, that's okay. It, it still gives you um, the satisfaction of knowing that you've hit a well-struck shot. It didn't quite hit the mark that you wanted, but it's certainly close within uh, the expectations that you had. So that's still uh, an A if, if, if you look at it from, um, from that standpoint. Look at it as a positive and don't look at it as a negative. And I think you'll find that you'll have more enjoyment in the game if you do that. I think too many people focus on the negatives of their game and not enough on the positives. And uh, that can certainly derail around very, very quickly. Um, all right, Cindy, I know there's a few other questions here, but uh, we're out of time, so we've got to bring on our, our very special guest, Patty Butcher, uh, who's been very patiently uh, listening and waiting in the wings. So let me just read a little bit about her, uh, and then we'll bring her on the show. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, our, our very special guest this morning is Patty Butcher. She's a PGA and LPGA Class A professional, uh, and she's committed to growing the game of golf and the people who play it. A golf professional for over 30 years, Patty's career has covered uh, the broadest spectrum of roles and responsibilities, starting uh, with playing competitively for over 45 years, as well as working in the industry, as I mentioned, for 30 years. Uh, PJ, uh, LPJ Class A professionals, I mentioned, uh, she's had the privilege of serving many uh, fine facilities and, and being mentored by top professionals, including uh, assistant uh, professional to Craig Harmon at Oak Hill Country Club, uh, serving as the director of instruction for the Meadows at um, GVSU, which uh, is the Grand Valley State University, uh, for seven years, beginning with its opening in 1992. Uh, she started the women's golf program at uh, GVSU, and uh, additionally, she served on the NCAA uh, Golf Championship Committee and begun the now uh, long tradition of hosting uh, NCAA uh, National Championships at the Meadows. Uh, she's taught uh, an NCAA uh, National Champion, eight high school state champions, and over 50 super team players and the captains of uh, Duke, Wake Forest, Northwestern, Hope, uh, GVSU, Ferris, Finley, and Calvin golf teams. And she's considered, uh, understandably so, by Golf Digest as ranked her among the 50 best women teachers in America. So, Cindy, uh, let's welcome our very uh, honored and special guest this morning, Patty Butcher. Good morning. Yay! Good morning to both of you, and thanks for having me on your great show. What a what a service you provide. Well, I really thank appreciate well, being thank you. Here. So how is life? Well, thank how you. What's up? So life is fabulous. Uh, I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, the LPGA is here this week at Blyfield Country Club with the Meyer Simply Give. So we're, you know, our uh, little bird here is so excited to invite in the best women players in the world. And so we're going to have a great week. What are you doing? Anything fun for the week? Well, let's see. Today we have the uh, junior clinic, of course, and, you know, be out there. And um, I have a LPGA USGA Girls Golf Club, and we'll be uh, stalking the grounds on Thursday. And then, of course, I'll jam in some private lessons in between. And uh, so dinner with friends and lots of fun. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. It's like the carnival or the circus comes to town. Exactly, exactly. You know how it goes. I do. So who's your favorite player? Well, right now I kind of, I'm really, um, I'm really so excited to to see the level and the depth. And so, you know, as far as favorites go, I think, you know, for me, 
watching the people I haven't really ever heard of before is kind of fun because I'm so impressed with um, the depth on the tour these days. And um, so it's been an amazing thing to watch as my career has progressed and uh, and pretty impressive. So as far as my top, top favorite, you know, I kind of, I kind of like Lexi Thompson. I, I, I think she, um, she's just fun to watch for me. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Um, but, but the yeah, depth she, is really incredible. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, th- this is Ted, by the way, there's a lot of great, um, players on the LPJ right now. Uh, some up and comers, uh, new, new to the, to the field, if you will. Uh, and certainly some veterans along the way, but, um, what do you find, I guess, different in today's game with some of the girls that you see out there in the LPJ? What's different about them than from maybe um, some of the earlier times on the LPJ? What, what do you notice different about them? I would say that not only are they technically better, they're so much stronger. And um, I'd say they're so much stronger, and I'd also say they've been introduced to self-management and concepts so much earlier that the that they seem to the learning curve seems to be less steep when they get on the tour wouldn't you agree Cindy that they that that you know that I think that Lynn and Pia and I know they've been guests on your show uh, they've helped all of us introduce concepts and how to teach them to our players so much younger and self-acceptance and um variability and all the things you were talking about of how to lower your expectations. And, and I think for years they've been taught and uh, modeled. I just think it's uh, much more pervasive in the skill sets of the teaching professionals that are helping them. Um, and so uh, I remember Craig Harmon telling me one time, you know, an amateur tries to do too much when they get in trouble, way more than a pro's ever going to do because the pro remembers mm. who hit it there. You know that if we right. could uh, if, we, if we could send a ball on a rope, we wouldn't be over in the trees. So, uh, and while an amateur may try to pull off that one in ten heroic shot, the pro's going to go for the shot that gets them up out of trouble nine out of ten times. So the amateur is going to try that one out of ten, and the pro's going to do the nine out of ten. And um, and so just like you were talking about uh, earlier, Ted, about some of the uh, targeting and pre-shots, I think that, that, that those are all skills that we as teachers have gotten much better at helping our players integrate into their game much, much sooner than ever before. Yeah, and, and, and that's a great point. Thank you for that. You know, Patty, I think one of the problems that I see as a teacher um, with students, especially if they've come to me, they've maybe had, um, uh, you know, played for a little while, and they get too target specific. Uh, you know, certainly targeting is, is important to, to have a, a plan, but they get so specific. Like, like, and that's why I used the example I did is, well, I'm going to aim for that tree. And when mm-hmm. they're 20 yards right or 10 yards left or something like that, uh, you know, you can almost hear the, you know, like the, the, the mm-hmm. sigh that, well, I didn't hit my target. And they're too hard of themselves. And the, mm-hmm. just like you pointed out a second ago is, you know, that's something that, you know, they may not pull off every time, mm-hmm. but they're, they're not, they're not confident enough to realize that, Hey, that's okay. I, I can still, you know, have a good, a good hole with, with a shot I hit and they're not accepting of, of the results that they've got. 
So a lot of times yeah, I think I, we have to reassure them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've had some success with uh, h- helping them rate their shots two times right after they hit instead of doing all their swing analysis. So first of all, I want to get them out of that, why did it go there? I hate that. And most amateurs hit a ball and then started evaluating whatever their last technical thing was. And um, for me, the first thing I want them to do is say, so let's have a 1 to 10 rating, 10 being great, um, a a 1 to 10 rating on how you hit it and then how how playable is it. So oftentimes I might get a 7 on how I hit it and a 10 on playability. And that way right. I can help help them take the emotion out of it because if it's if it's a playable shot, then they that helps them keep their self esteem and confidence going. And um, mm-hmm. meanwhile, that that uh, analysis of what it, why wasn't it perfect right at that tree uh, that binds them up and sends them on a downward spiral. Or I like to call it the search. I love when a person comes to your lesson tee and say, you know, I play, I race out of my car, I play the first few holes pretty well, and then it goes downhill, and I go, oh, mm-hmm. I bet you start evaluating how you're doing instead of just saying, oh, I just yep. rest out from work, and now I'm going to play golf, and I'm going to just warm up a little and see how it goes. Oh, it's going pretty well. And then the first missed shot, they start analyzing what they're doing. Well, guess what's not working? The analysis is what's not working. The acceptance is working great. The analysis is working horrible. Right. So, um, so that's why I try to help them get into a plan where they, um, they, you know, they rate it based on how they struck it, and then um, how playable it is. And, um, you know, we're going for playable shots when we play the game. We'll worry about how to improve that striking later. Two different goals. One's a, uh, one's a range goal, and one's a play goal. And the only reason to go to the range is to play better. So, and to score better, and some of that has to do with, you know, as you guys were talking about, self acceptance and lowering the the um, the stress of it. Expectation. Yeah, yeah. and and that Cindy, that is a great great example of of really lowering your expectations too, because you know a lot of players, um, you know, a lot of our amateurs, as Patty, as you just pointed out, you know, they jump out of the car, they might be lucky to to get a, a practice putt or two in, and they're on the first tee. Um, so they really haven't warmed up, they haven't stretched, they haven't done anything uh, to really prepare themselves for that mm-hmm. round. And then they wonder why, as you said, after two or three holes, they're not playing very well and, and the, the analytical wheels start coming in. But they, they need to lower the expectations. I mean, if you haven't prepared for the round and you haven't done anything, then you can't expect to go out and shoot a great score when you haven't done anything. It's, it's like any job. I mean, if you haven't prepared for the task at hand, then you know, don't be surprised if you experience some level of failure. And I think that a lot of players uh, out there, a lot of folks out there that, that, um, that we, we see on the lesson tee fall into that category. They don't prepare properly for the task at hand, and then they're surprised at why the results they're getting are not what they expect. I absolutely agree right? with that. And, and I think also that part of that um, is a mindset of, um, you know, how do I slow down? I, you had a great uh, – most players haven't spent the time trying to figure out what their true tempo is. So even if you were racing out of the car, you know, if you had uh, worked with your golf professional on finding your one and or two and three tempo, whichever, wherever you fall, 
even having a cue like that can help you make that transition. So I certainly don't begrudge those players whose schedules, uh, you know, really right. prevent them from that. But I do think having a plan, uh, and I really liked Cindy's comments about, you know, find your tempo, play with your tempo. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was a very right. valuable segment. I, I don't I don't think many players have spent much time even trying to figure out what their mantra might be or what their cue might be. So I think um, that can also help those <clears throat> people, those golfers that we have that are so rushed for time. Um, and you know, for them, get just getting out there is a, is is a big plus. So I, you know, I think we have the whole spectrum. For our better players, of course, you know, they have long and very specific warm-ups based on what their tendencies are, where they get tight, you know, talking about how much better the players are today on the tour. I mean, they know exactly which muscles aren't firing um, and have plans for when those muscles are tight or sore and have go-to shots. Well, you know, a lot of us, you know, just aren't in the position where we, we have all that information or had even the luxury of time on that. So, um, so I think that it runs the gamut, and I, but I think he's given them some great, great helpful tips, tips on how to, how to make the most of those times. Yeah, and and that's really what you, you know we try to do. I mean, it's obviously up to the individual to to take the initiative to to do these things that we're suggesting. But um, you're exactly right. We try to give them a platform to work from, and uh, and again, it's up to them how much they want to commit themselves to it. Patty, let me ask you something, and then Cindy, I'll. I'll uh, I know you have some more questions as well. What life lessons um, can you think of, Patty, that golf has taught you? Yeah, so our best golf is played in the moment. You know, we've spent an awful lot of time um, as players trying to really um, have a have a have a I'm here right now. This is the shot that matters. And you know, for me, that's true in life. That you know, we all uh, kind of you know, try to fake ourselves out. I'll be happy when X happens. I'll be happy when Y happens. And and truthfully, the mindfulness that happens right in that moment, uh, the joy that happens and the appreciation and the gratitude and appreciation. And, um, you know, I think when I played, played competitively, I did not spend enough time, you know, just feeling like, wow, it's so cool that I get to do this. And I spent... <laughs> way too much time saying that wasn't perfect. (laughs) And I, and I'd say that that has, that life lessons has made me so much happier in my life. And it's made me so much happier in my game that, you know, I, I feel like acceptance and gratitude has helped my, my life. And it's certainly helped my golf. Mm. Cindy, what do you think about that? I would agree. <laughs> oh man, you are. Why so are you awesome. chuckling? Because it's so true. <laughs> you know, it's like, did you realize how good you had it? Exactly. <laughs> like you know, like, you hit wow. a ninety percent shot, and you go, "Wow!" So today, I might go, "Wow, that's pretty cool that I get to do that." You know, I stand on the lesson key trying to help people do that, versus all the time I spent going, "Okay, that wasn't perfect." <laughs> right? You know, I have to ask a question. Um, so the LPGA Tour is in your neighborhood this week, and we all know that they are the best in the world, and they are so committed, and and 
most of these young women and some older women have been practicing and playing and golf has been their life for a long time. And you are the director of your LPGA Girls Golf Club as I am here and we teach an awful lot of kids. So how do we communicate? um, How do you get your kids to go from, you know what, I'm pretty good at this, and I, they tell me they want to be good, but they don't show me they want to be good. And a dream without a plan is just a wish. Mm-hmm. And they need to commit mm-hmm. to really looking inwardly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they get dropped off for their lessons or their parents stays there the whole time. And they shake their head like they get it, but they don't get it. And they go out and shoot mm-hmm. 98. And mm-hmm. then they and then they say, "Oh, I came in second. That doesn't matter. <laughs> what place mm-hmm. you finished?" And so I don't want to be mean, but on the other hand, I've got to be realistic mm-hmm. and truthful to them and say, "What place you finished? You're comparing yourself against other people who are no good. You mm-hmm. tell me you want to go play college golf at one of the top thirty schools in the country. Mm-hmm. You don't have a prayer. And I don't mean to be rude, but what do you do?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have uh, I have a few tools in my bucket that I use for that. Um, I tell them that they just won the Who Cares Open, that I love them very much, <laughs> that um, that um, that 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 they that one of the, that I that they are really uh, special but not unique, and that um here's the here's the thing I'm always going to have their back and I'm always going to be their ally and I'm and part of that is that I'm always going to tell them the truth. And so um so that's part of what we do. But I spend you know here in the north like you Cindy I uh, I have some winter programming that I do for the kids that give me the I want to be good line and we start with um and you guys have probably all seen it the the big rocks, the medium-sized rocks, the little rocks, the sand in the water, and how do you get that in a jar? You have to pick your three big rocks and put them in first. And I help my kids identify what their big rocks are. And we talk a lot about how your time has to match your intention. And so if these are your big rocks and golf is one of them, then this is what it needs to look like. And so I try to educate them about what that process looks like. And I ask people, you know, um, and, and, and I can help them make a plan. And I, we set it out in like four or five-year increments because usually that's like you get a junior golfer that wants to play high school. Okay. Then you get the one who wants to have a choice and a chance. I like to call it a choice and a chance. And what does that look like? And uh, I actually, um, part of that is I program some time with their parents to see if they're on board. Because as you know, Cindy, um, you know, that requires a, quite a time and, and uh, resource commitment from the parent as well. So I explain to everybody what that looks like. And then I let them make a pick and we commit to a year. This is what I'm going to do this year to get to this goal. And these are the things I commit to doing. And that means I'm putting in my basement or 20, you know, and, and I really am specific and say, okay, this is, this is what it looks like. And I go to my trainer on these days at this time and I do these things. And I see Patty, I play in these tournaments 
and I practice these things and um, and I help them make a plan and then we have a set time to evaluate it. So um, I try to take their feelings out of it <laughs> until we're talking about, wow, I need you to help me manage my nervousness. That's a different matter than I feel good about right. my outcome. So I try to take the outcome out of it and stay right here right now uh, but I'm like you, that the plan is is what matters. And, you know, you and I, all we had were uh, Hogan's Five Lessons. And it said, go hit balls until your hands bleed. That's what we knew. Boy, we know so much more today about how to practice, you know, game-like training, how to practice, you know, the mental stuff, how to set up your practice to be so much more productive. I mean, the, the information that Cindy and I had was, okay, sundown. And you have yep. to have blisters on your hands, and um, that's what you do. But now we have some, we have so much more information, knowledge, and in how to help people be productive. And um, so I'm like you, Cindy. But I, but I start with, you know, you just want the who cares open. And yep. um, another another difficult one that I think, Cindy, and I don't know about you, but I get the, I get the athletic ninth grader who happened to play well in a tournament whose parents now think she's going to get a college scholarship. And the truth was she <laughs> she didn't have the nervousness because she'd never done it. And now she's got all these people telling her she could be good, but it's just a little bit. Well, the truth was she has, you know, a golf swing with 14 hitches and a giggle, and that thing isn't going to repeat itself unless there's absolutely no expectation at all. And they kind of go backwards for a little while while they're 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 making their – uh, swing simpler so that they can hold up under pressure. And so I tell them that's exactly what may happen, and I'm going to be with them while this happens. And it may be slowly, it may be quickly, but, and I try to explain that this is a natural part of the process. And, you know, you and I, we didn't have anybody to explain those things to us. We had to go through them. Like, why am I getting, you know, why is this not working? Feeling like there's something wrong with us when, in fact, I needed to be on this process and on this journey and that it isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And, you know, you have to have the right measurables, you know. And so people, I mean, you know, the old school with technology, and I think, so for me, technology helps my students measure progress, uh, not outcomes and trends. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I, I mean, as Cindy and Alan and, and so many teachers out there that our eyes, what the track man tells us. We, very few of us need that piece of equipment to tell us what just happened. The student, however, likes to know the trends. And so if I can help and show them that they're moving in the right direction when they're doing certain motions, then I can help them build confidence and stay in the process with me. So those are kind of ways I get around that. Cindy, how about you? Hello? Hello. Uh, I think Cindy's. I uh, think Cindy's still. Oh, no, Cindy was. Sorry, she got dropped. Cindy, can you uh, hear me? did you hear that? Yeah, we yes. can now. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we're um, with you. I got cut off, but um, Patty, I was typing out all the golden nuggets that you just mentioned here because you're right on point, <laughs> and I believe. Um, I, I'm going to have a youth seminar, workshop, whatever you want to call it, in the fall or the winter. And mm -hmm. I would like to invite you to come and speak 
because no, I love that. I I really think we need to do this because I'm not sure that the parents, and this is true with adults as well. Yeah. If if mm-hmm. I don't get what you're telling me, it's your fault, not mine. Mm-hmm. And then they're on to the next pro who will tell them whatever they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And everywhere you go, there you are, and you're mm-hmm. not playing any better. So, and I love the kids. And the mm-hmm. funny thing is we just had the women's Porter Cup here. Yeah. And we've, you know, the best young players in the country that are playing college golf and the funny thing is we've had three or four students go to the next greatest teacher and they all shot in the 80s and the one person who's just like Alan Miller and Alan Miller is her is her helper teacher golf mm-hmm. father if you will she walks you know like Alan talks like Alan loves Alan and she shot 74 74 72 and, you know, so mm-hmm. totally boring, consistent, you know. Mm-hmm. But she, so again, it's like, do you not see the evidence here that this is definitely a marathon and not a sprint? And and as much as I love the kids, I don't know how to communicate to the parents. You know, you have before you the only married couple in the world that have played on all four major tours, but you want to go take a lesson from a 25-year-old who has track man. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, but, and I don't want to be, and I'm not bitter because it's okay if they need to go do that. It's just how you communicate that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And again, mm-hmm. we did the the program all winter, the Own Your Game Academy. So I think I'm missing something, and I, I thank you for your input because clearly I'm not, we're not communicating as best as we could. And mm-hmm. I always want to get better. Well, and you know, Cindy, I think some of that, and, and in fairness to you, is um, that, you know, but trust me, if they have a suitcase, they're more of an expert. So I love to bring in people to tell my people the same thing I've been telling them for weeks and months and years. So yeah. if you if you bring in somebody else, a lot of times that message um, gets through or, you know, that's why we write articles. That's why you have great podcasts and, and thanks Ted for your service on this, because if somebody said it on the internet, it's more true than if I'm at, uh, you know, if I'm at um, a range and it, you know, and somebody's having results. So, and, you know, I think there'll always be people that don't want to take responsibility and, um, and I think that in spite, you know, there is still, you know, we live in a country where not everybody gets to the top, right? So mm-hmm, if it were right. easy, we'd all be there. And I always talk mm-hmm. about that. If this were easy, we'd all do this. Um, <laughs> but it takes some fortitude and it takes a lot of disappointment. I talk about the disappointment as much as I talk about the success because how you manage your disappointments will define what, how you, what you do in life. And so I'm just as proud yeah. of my kids that go on to be doctors and lawyers. And, you know, if they've learned a couple of um, bounce-back ability skills from me, I feel like I've fulfilled my mission here on Earth. And so, you know, I want to inspire my to be everything they want to be or anything they want to be, not just tour players. So, so I use that same analogy on how you get what you really want in life. And, um, and so for me, it's like, 
a, it's kind of a bigger picture and a broader picture because I want to support them no matter what their goals are. Absolutely. So yeah, I, for one of my students, she has she's pretty good at golf and she works pretty hard, but she mostly wants to be a surgeon. So her golf goal is to see how good she can get to get to go to a school that she that might be a smidge out of her reach that academically that also has golf. So she might get into a Northwestern where she as a golfer or or a you know a Harvard or a Princeton that she her academics may not have gotten her there. And so sometimes that's mm. how we set our goals. And so, you know what? That's yeah. awesome because then they're comfortable. And once they're comfortable, they can be more confident. And exactly. I that some of these parents are pushing kids with unrealistic expectations, and it's like, why don't you just love your child and not Absolutely. care about the outcome and, and help them to learn these lessons of, of failure and fortitude and accountability and responsibility and, and, and let them be a better administrator, lawyer, whatever it is they're going to be, and they are going to have a game for a life. Right. So, and I, you know, I don't know about you, and I bet you've all both had these calls. I'd like you to evaluate, before we invest in lessons with you, we'd like you to evaluate our child to see if they have any ability. I said, (laughs) "Uh, why? (laughs) I don't get that. (laughs) And um, I said, yeah. Because golf takes a lot, you know, if you have a child that's remotely interested in golf, boy, girl, it takes a lot of time to play golf during a day. Uh, And so you know Mm -hmm. where your kids Mm -hmm. are. It's safe. It's a great environment. I said, why would it matter if they're any good? I mean, it's so much better than so many of the other things they could do that to me I'd want to encourage that however I could. Absolutely. so I think making yeah. sure, and you know, I think it's just like what you guys talk about with student-centered teaching, um, that I really want my students mm-hmm. to set the goal, not me. And my job is to help them get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Patty, um, w- one of the things that I've discovered here is, you know, I, I want – students regardless of what age they are you know whether it's an adult or, or a child I want them to first and foremost do it because they want to have fun and they want to learn something new and something and challenge themselves and you know I've had you know I, I do a lot more corporate stuff now but uh, um, I have done you know a, a lot of the other as well and one of the things that used to drive me nuts is what you just said is you know parents would call and want you to evaluate their child and see you know basically um, where they're at. And to me, you know, it's more for the parents benefit than it really is for the child's. Mm -hmm. And I think that the parents put too much pressure onto those children and they get into a situation where they just either burn out or they can't handle the expectations that are thrust upon them. And then they end up going away from the game because they don't enjoy it. They're not having fun. They're not out there Mm -hmm. doing what they want to do. They're out there doing what their parents want them to do. And and that's a danger that we all have to, you know, guard against as as professionals is we have to make sure that the person that's coming to us uh, understands the reasons. And, Cindy, as you always say, the why. Why am I here? You know, why do Mm -hmm. I want to play? Why do I want to learn the game? And it's based on those 
answers how I proceed or how I move forward. And mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that uh, I, I wish parents would just drop their children off and then go somewhere for an hour and a half, hour and a half. go and have a coffee somewhere, just, you know, get out of the way and let the child learn because that's what they're there to do is to learn. Uh, and let them ask the questions they want to ask, not the ones that the parents are feeding them or, or, or doing. And, and that's uh, the way I look at it. But um, uh, unfortunately, you know, I we, have two... we've run out of time. Are we out of time? Um, oh, I don't get to say yep, my ahead. best Cindy Miller lesson. Yes. So Cindy Miller told okay, me. Okay, go ahead and real, it was quick, a seminar. real quick. She was a seminar. She told me a beginner woman just wants to get the ball in the air. So you put it on a tee, get her hinge in her wrist and unhinging them, and that ball goes in the air. So, I think you got to meet the students where they are, and Cindy Miller taught me that lesson um, many, many, many moons ago. So I appreciate her very much, and Ted, thanks for all you do. <laughs> very good. Thank you, um, Patty. Well, Patty, we want to we want to thank you very much for joining. Uh, yeah, for joining us this morning, and yeah, yeah, we'll have you back. We'll have you back again real soon, and and. Uh, We'll continue this conversation because there's a lot of good stuff that we can hit. But, Patty, we want to thank you very much this morning for joining Cindy and I on the Women of Golf. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. And I think she might have All gone. Right. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. And on that note, we run a little past our, our normal scheduled time, but not to worry. Uh, we'll be back next Tuesday from 9 to 10 Eastern here on the Women of Golf show. So on behalf of Cindy Miller – I'm Ted Odorico. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, thank you uh, for our special guest, Patty Butcher, for joining us as well. And we look forward to uh, helping grow the game next week here on the Women of Golf Show. Thanks, Cindy. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. You do the same. Bye-bye.